0: Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Most of our teams are not in the game. But we're forever holding them up. Some things to remember. There's already chili back there. There's barbecue grills. There's tri-tip. There will be smoke. There will be aroma. There will be things dipped and covered in cheese, bacon, sugar, you name it. We've got dessert covered everywhere. These are things that men have put together. So there's some serious things that need to be remembered. Ernie. Is it apricot, cobbler? What's the is cobbler? What exactly is in that? Secret recipe. Secret recipe. <laughs> this is what men do because we ourselves don't know what's in it. <laughs> My chili is a one-off. If you say that was great, pfft, I don't know if it's going to happen again, because cans went in, packages went in, there was no measuring tool, nothing was written down, but it smells really good. So there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, Where's Barry? Barry's got a knife back there that nobody should go near, but it's about to cut salami and cheese, right? So there's a lot of that. We've got everything going on. But we, the body of Christ, are going to fellowship together, rather than sitting home, possibly alone alone. We're going to fellowship, boot and holler together, carry on. Halftime. Half time. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Is there going to be a wardrobe malfunction? <laughs> but we don't want a replay on that. But we don't know what's going to happen. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time, and we're going to be in prayerful call to the Lord that those that are playing the game are injury-free, that a good time is had. That it's a great game, and that the one and a half point spread is covered, it'll be all good. Now, three o'clock is uh, you know if you want to know what time to show up, that's going to be your hour. Um, I think kickoff's at three uh, thirty. Several of us are going to just be here from the time church is over because someone needs to eat all the cookies and the donuts and things. So there's going to be that. So that's it on the Super Bowl. Now I got to just kind of take it down a peg, and we got to talk about next week's. Uh, general business meeting. Is that the name we give to it? So let's be as upbeat as we can about this. Um, Everyone is welcome. You'll be able to ask questions if anybody cares to that level. And we'll be here to share with you the ministries of this church, the focus and the vision going forward uh, into the next fiscal year. And uh, it's an obligation from the state of California that our corporation has to do such a thing. It's not as much fun as the Super Bowl party, but we're going to be here for a short time uh, opening up everything for question that we do here and what the vision is. And we would encourage you to come and participate as Christ calls us to do things decently and in order. That meeting will be one that covers that. So, thank you.
1: Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved an alcoholic failure, agnostic, partier, liar,
0: drug addict, a wretch, like me, I once was broken,
1: resentful, helpless,
0: depressed, out of control, abandoned,
1: selfish, self-destructive, angry, confused, just lost, But now, I'm sober, happy, peaceful, grateful, free, alive, forgiven. I'm found.
0: I was blind to God,
1: to faith, to love.
0: Pero ahora, yo veo.
1: I see that I matter.
0: I see past my problems.
1: I see my savior. I see grace.
0: Amazing grace. Twas grace that taught
1: we started a bible study in a living room in this neighborhood right over here and that bible study over time grew and eventually we believed that the Lord had called us to start a church and so we did that in 2010 and uh, you know the story, many of you know the story, we started Saturday nights at the Wesleyan Church and then moved to Sunday mornings at the Wesleyan Church and and moved into this facility in 2017. But in the early years of our church, when we were first getting, go, uh, getting going, uh, that group that was there uh, was really born out of some adversity that it, had that it happened in the valley and some upheaval. And there was a lot of displacement, a lot of dispersion, uh, impacted people uh, in many different ways. And so as we began this journey as a church family, uh, I was seeking the Lord to say, Lord, how do we regroup? How do we unite? How do we not dwell on the past and people issues? And how do we stay focused on you as a church family? Uh, take us to what unites us in Christ. Take us, take us to a foundational pillar, doctrinal pillar that we can unite, we can understand, and then we can grasp and live and move forward in, uh, as a church family and, and bless one another and, and be a blessing to this community and so oh, 10 plus years ago, uh, we started a series on God's grace, in God, on God's grace. And, and uh, you know, as we begin 2024 and the elders, we spent quite a bit of time towards the end of last year seeking the Lord for uh, really his vision for 2024. Uh, and we are celebrating. The elders, were celebrating God moving in so many of your lives. So many of you are serving and giving faithfully. We're seeing tremendous growth. So many of you are new. In the last year or so, uh, it's, it's awesome. It is just phenomenal. And so as we uh, have been seeking the Lord together as elders, uh, there's been a, a constant sort of theme that has come up, and that's discipleship, that's maturing, that's, that's, you know, celebrating uh, new wineskins moving forward, but being rooted and grounded in the Word of God and maturing individually and as a church family. And so I really felt like, you know what, maybe it's time, Lord, we got to come back In the newness of this season with all the new people that are here and and even those who have been with us on the journey to come back and to celebrate, to understand, to appropriate God's grace. Now, grace is an interesting word, right? It's kind of a churchy word, right? Is that something you just do before a meal? You say grace, right? Because grace isn't a lot of church names, Right? Is that just something you do? That's like a cool thing. Like, you know, hey, let's put grace in the name, right, of our church. What is grace and how does it impact me today? Like literally as I'm sitting here, grace, God's grace should be an integral part of your relationship with him as you sit here. See, part of part of even what we do over time, if we're not kind of... Uh, maybe taught the, the full counsel of God is that we, we limit grace to salvation. We're saved by grace. And then we, we kind of understand it in that context alone, but we don't realize that grace moves from salvation into sanctification. And so if you are going to continue to mature as a believer, you have to understand biblical grace because 24-7, 365, you and I need God's grace. We need God's grace. So what is it? And in 2 Peter three eighteen, it says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. To grow means to mature. It's part of our sanctification. Again, we just don't experience God's grace at salvation. We're to grow in grace. We're to understand it more. We're to appreciate it more. We're to appropriate it more as we understand it. More, okay? And, and I, I love these, these quotes about the importance of grace. This one says this The principle of grace is as fundamental to Christianity as that of justice is to law or love is to marriage. Christianity cannot be understood apart from an adequate grasp of grace. The doctrine of grace distinguishes the Christian faith from every other religion in the world. As well as, the, as from the cults. Rightly understood and applied, the doctrine of grace can revolutionize one's Christian life. I love that because that can happen right now. Before you leave here, God may speak to you about his grace, and you're gonna leave here transformed. Transformed. Because again, it's one thing to hear grace, to intellectualize grace, it's another thing for grace to go from here to here. And for some, I believe here and listening at home this morning, I believe that's going to happen because, you know, that's God's word, and it's God's grace. And if you, if you respond before you leave here, things could radically change in your life, radically change. Sinclair Ferguson says this, spiritual growth always involves understanding, appreciating, receiving, and enjoying the grace of God. Enjoying the grace of God. What? Not yet. It's more than just information. Remember, I told you before, the Bible is not given for information. It's given for transformation. You got to get that. You got to get that. In our culture with YouTube and all the podcasts and all the resources at Google, we have turned the faith in many ways into an intellectual academic exercise to try to figure out right What's right? I got to be right, got to be right, right. And so we've made the Bible, in many ways, information. It's more data gathering. It's not designed for that. The Bible is designed to lead you into a relationship with the living God through faith in Jesus so that you can be transformed. When you open the word of God in the morning, you pray and say, Lord, use the word, speak to me so I can be transformed. Some of you know uh, Pastor Miles Uh, In San Diego, the the Rock Church, big mega church down there. I used to work for Miles when I was in San Diego. And Miles, when he would preach, he would tell his congregation, I think it's like 10,000 plus people. He would say, when you come, bring your Bibles and bring a pen and paper. Or if you're comfortable writing, write in your Bible. He would say, come and open your Bible, get your notes out, and be prepared to write down what God tells you. That's what he would tell his congregation. Come prepared to church to write down what God says to you through his word in this moment. Because the word is living and active. The Holy Spirit is living and active. He's speaking right now, not through me, through God's word. The question is, are we open and receptive to not just hearing it, but then acting on it? So Pastor Miles would say, bring a pen. And as you're listening, you write down what God tells you in application. Right, because again, not only have we made Christianity and the Bible some information, we've also made church this passive spectator sport. Like a whole lot of people are going to cheer for the Super Bowl today, sitting in the stands in the suites, right? and even in church, then we've made it like where you all sit there in these nice rows and you watch what's on here, and it's very passive, just like school. Right? It's not designed to be that way. We're in a living, dynamic relationship with the living God. And that's what we're doing here. That's why we open the word of God. That's why when you come here, we preach from the word of God. It's not our opinion. It's the word of God. It's the truth. It's authority. If you're a believer, the word of God is the authority in your life. And through the Holy Spirit, we believe that if we preach faithfully the word of God accurately and rightly divided, that the spirit of truth will speak to everyone here. If there's 100 people here, the spirit of truth can speak to 100 different people. As radical. How many of you have ever been in church and that someone me or someone else, says something that's so specific to something in your life. You're like, how did you know? And so Tyler will tell me. He's like, people come up, did you tell him? I'm like, Tyler's like, tell him? That's, that's not me. I don't know. It's, it's too many of you to know what's going on in your life. But, you know, if, if I if somehow in the sermon said, you know, well, Volvo, you're like, how did he know Volvo meant something to me, you know? I didn't know. That's why this excites us every Sunday. Because the living God and the living Holy Spirit gets to be alive and active in this church. We really believe that, right? And grace is fundamental to that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next several weeks looking at the doctrine of grace. Not as information, transformation. Now, I'm going to warn you. The doctrine of grace is like this big. And it can seem like taking a cup of water and trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. That's how big it is and how overwhelming it can be. So we're going to take it real slow. Like we're not in a rush. Because what I want you to do is I want to give you enough teaching, biblical teaching, for you to take home and marinate, meditate, transform, just get it from here to here. Connect Connect these two. Because that's what grace is designed to do you're going to learn a lot of biblical teaching about grace but you got to you got to think about it you got to meditate you got to let god speak to you okay so we'll start with a very broad definition that's going to kind of lay a framework for where we're moving all right so definition grace in simple terms is god's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification I love that definition because, again, for some, you might already say, oh, I didn't know it was beyond salvation. I didn't know God, God's grace was supernatural enablement for me today. That's God's grace. That's why in the morning you, could, you can literally play, Lord, I need your grace today. I'm a believer. I need your grace. Because that's supernatural enablement empowerment, okay? And, and I love that because... In salvation, there's you know, what I call three tenses of salvation. There's past tense, where we're saved from the penalty of sin, by God's grace. There's the present tense, where we're saved from the power of sin, amen, by God's grace. And then there's future tense, where we're going to be saved from the presence of sin, by God's grace. See, so God's grace is past, present, and future, so we kind of got to know what the Bible says about it, okay? We have to get a grasp of what God wants to tell us about his grace because he is a God of grace, right? So today we're gonna look at this story in Matthew 20, and it's gonna kind of be a broad introduction to why you and I might have or still do struggle with receiving God's grace. As great as it sounds I'm going to guess that almost 100% of the people here some at some level struggle with receiving God's grace uh, to a large degree because of the culture we're raised in. And you're going to, you'll see that as we move forward. So Matthew 20, kind of a long story, but I want to read it because it, it really highlights the heart challenge we have with God's grace. Okay, It says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't been you you've been working today? They replied, Because no one hired us. The landowner told them, Then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That e- evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Powerful story. Kind of easy to understand, basically, you know. This vineyard worker, vineyard owner, he's, you know he goes to Home Depot, and he's hiring day workers from 6 a.m. and every three hours, right? And when it's time to divvy up, they all get paid the same. And the people who got hired early in the morning are bent, even though that's what they agreed to. And, and the challenging part of this, and what the lander would say, hey, can't I do what I want to do with my money? Right? I wasn't treating you unfairly. This is what we agreed to. All right? And right away, we're challenged in, In the realm of God's grace, between what God wants and what we think is right, fair, equitable, right? Romans 9 says this, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So if you're going to understand God's grace, you've got to understand first and foremost, it's according to God's rules and God's nature, not us. It's grace on God's terms. It's grace on God's terms. And that's what they were struggling with. That's, the, that's one of the main points of this story is this heart issue between what they expect, what they think is right versus kind of the sovereignty of the landowner to do what he wants right and and it kind of leads us to one of these false beliefs when it comes to God's grace even if you've received it you still might be impacted by this false belief and here's the first false belief i must prove to god that i am worthy to receive his grace i must prove to god that I am worthy to receive his grace. And, and what is that related to? It's related to what they call the merit demerit system. And this is why, if you've been in uh, school, military, even corporations, we are raised in a merit demerit system. Whether or not you like it, this, this is deeply ingrained in you, right? Here's a definition it says some institutions, such as colleges and the military, have what is called a merit and demerit system. Merit is a mark that is given when something positive is done, something other than ordinary. Demerit is a mark that is given when something negative is done, something against the rules. For so many merits, a person is given an award, some sort of recognition for doing so well. For so many demerits, a person is given some form of punishment and is indicated on his or her permanent record. It is hard for people to understand that God's grace is not on a merit and demerit system. See, these, these workers, they were like merit, demerit. They were like counting in hours, right? And what they thought, their number of hours merited more pay. See, they, they were approaching hours and pay based on a merit, demerit system. And it kind of bent them, and, and, and it twisted them up. For some of us, who were raised very performance-oriented. I've shared with you many times, I was raised in a very academically successful family. Uh, my older sister and brothers were both valedictorians, went on to the military academies. You know, uh, I understand merit and demerit. Straight A's all the way through, went to UCLA, spent a year in law school, all of that. I, I am merit, demerit to a T. I understand it. I know how to play the game. And I get that. And it's also when I was coming to faith and trying to wrestle with the gospel of grace, I realized, man, this is a tough one for me, Mr. Merit, demerit. It's tough. It's tough. And it touches some of us who were successful in a merit, demerit system. Uh, It touches us in the sense of, like, what do you mean? There's nothing I can do to prove That I'm worthy of God's grace now, and there's nothing. Sorry, you you, you don't merit. You don't merit anything to receive God's grace. See, that's kind of tough because I'm looking at a bunch of people who are successful, intelligent, nice, responsible. I'm gonna like err on this side today. Good, you know, you take take care of your kids, you go to job, you know. You're a lot of good people. You're just a lot of good people here and at home. Just This church is filled with really good people. And the challenge with really good people is to really accept that nothing you did in your goodness merited God's grace. Oh, man, that chops you right at the knees. And why does that chop us at the knees? Because for some of us who are raised in a merit and demerit system, it's tied to your self-worth and your identity and conditional love. And you can't, and I'm speaking, I'm, I'm I'm. be very testimonial here. I, for the longest time, could not wrap my mind around God loving me with nothing I'm doing to merit it. I wasn't raised in that environment. My identity, my esteem, my joy, my happiness was directly tied to my report card, my merits. It got so bad for me, I've shared with my wife, I was under such pressure by the time I was a high school senior, having I got straight A's all the way through, seventh grade, all the way through. A B was considered an F for me. And I didn't realize how messed up that made me in terms of merit and demerit and identity and joy and conditional love. And so along comes... My friends in college, and they start telling me that God loves me, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, my, my wires get crossed, because they're trying to explain God's grace as unmerited favor, and I don't know what that means. Unmerited favor. That's a tough one. And so for me, I, was, I, I, I had this false belief that somehow I have to prove I have to prove that I was worthy. There's got to be something in me, some little ounce of merit that made God love me and give me his grace. That's not grace. There's nothing you or I do to merit God's grace. There's nothing we can do to prove to God that we are worthy of his grace. And that's where I'm saying that's why we're going to take baby steps with this. Because some here, some at home, you're still trying to prove to God that you are worthy of his grace. Deep down, you're trying to prove it. Maybe you're serving here. Maybe you're giving. Maybe you're living a sacrificial life. And deep down, your motive is to somehow prove to God that you are worthy of his grace. That's a false belief. That's a false belief. It's crazy because in Matthew 20, 16, right? Uh, Actually, you know what, Jordan, we'll go to that one quote. I love this quote from Justin Holcomb. He says, grace is the opposite of karma, which is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Even that's tough, right? How many of you grew up, man? You messed up. Anyone ever here? wait till your dad gets home? And you're going to get what you deserve, right? We're raised in a get what you deserve culture, right? And we do that to others. You do this to me. I'm going to give you what you deserve, right? And we translate this merit demerit, you deserve, get what you deserve mentality into God's nature. And God comes with the good news of the gospel of grace and our wires are just crossed, because he's not giving us what we deserve. Praise God, amen? You don't want to God to give you what you deserve. You really do want God's grace, amen? But if you want God's grace, if you want to enjoy God's grace, you got to wipe the slate clean that there's anything you've done to merit or prove your worth. You got to wipe that clean. And if you do that, you're going to start enjoying God's grace. You're gonna have that weird smile on your face. And you'll be like, Why are you smiling? God's grace, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. See, in Matthew 20 16, Jesus says, So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. What he's talking about is God's grace levels the playing field. It levels the playing field. You remember the, the thief on the cross? Right? Luke 9. They're having a conversation, right? They're all crucified. And he says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise, right? This guy receives God's grace moments before he's in paradise, right? Now, some of us merit and demerit people are like, well, that's not very fair, You mean he went to heaven? And I've been coming to church every Sunday. I went to BBS, I went to Amona's. My whole life I grew up in church, served the Lord, sacrificed, did everything, all the good stuff. That guy's going to heaven at the very end? Yeah. That's the glory of God's grace. It's not merit. The ultimate reward of eternal life is given without merit. It's fully God's grace. It levels the playing field. It eliminates all titles. Pastor, elder, da da. We are all just recipients of God's grace. That's all we are when we gather. Now we have different callings and different opportunities to serve the kingdom. Mine just happens to be up here. But in the end, there's no different than me, me and you. Because we just received God's grace, brother. We literally are the same. That God's grace levels the playing field. You know, people say, you guys are so familiar here, and you guys just are like a church family, and it's so joyful here. I want you to understand that is coming from God's grace. Because at the core, this is a church that understands God's grace. We, we celebrate it this way, and then we extend it this way. It's not just we're family because we're really nice people and we're friendly. No. The core of our familialness is God's grace here. It's just God's grace. Look at Luke 15:7. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You know what happened when that thief entered heaven at the very last moment of his life? Woohoo! The same woo-hoo that you got when you were saved. Amen? It was a woo-hoo moment. That's the craziness of God's grace. So stop trying to prove that you merit God's grace. Let you off the hook. There's absolutely nothing you can do to merit it. Stop trying. And for some of you, that's... Easier said than done. Because, like me, you have spent most of your life trying to merit someone else's approval. You have been trying to merit and prove that you're worthy, lovable, you matter, you're a success, however you define that. And along comes God and says, I love you, here's my grace, just receive it. Stop trying to prove to me that you merit it, because you don't. Ah, oh, that's still a toughie for me. So first false belief is I must prove that I'm worthy. Here's the second one. I must pay back God for his grace. Mm. I'm saved, man, I got to pay God back for his grace. I got to... I got to go pick up leaves, right, Gigi? I got to be here every Thursday. Why are you here? I got to pay the big man back for his grace, right? Some of us are still living in payback mode. That's not God's grace. You got to stop that too. You got to stop trying to prove that you merit it, and you got to stop trying to pay it back. Where does this payback come from? It's something called the debtor's ethic. Here's the debtor's ethic. Since I brought up the subject of motives, I'm going to relate it to another topic that I call the debtor's ethic. First, let me define the term debtor's ethic. The debtor's ethic has a deadly appeal to immature Christians. It comes packaged as a gratitude ethic and says things like, God has done so much for you. Now, what will you do for him? The Christian life is pictured as an effort to pay back the debt we owe to God. The admission is made that we will never fully pay it off, but the debtor's ethic demands that we work at it. Good deeds and religious acts are the installment payments we make on the unending debt we owe God. There's not a lot of joy in that. Anybody here don't really like car payments. Thank you. House payments, student loan payments for those who pay them, thank you. Right, these ideas of these debts that we owe. How many have ever had a debt that you owe and you're like, I am never gonna pay this off. And it just kind of like sucked the wind out of you. You're like, never, I'm gonna be 50 before I pay for this degree, right? Well, imagine what that does to your relationship with God. If you view his grace as some huge debt that you're just working off. Why are you going to church? Got to pay the debt. Every time I go to church, I get a few more brownie points off my eternal debt. Why are you serving? Got to pay the debt. Why are you giving? Got to pay the debt. We think that God is like some loan shark, like going to come after you, and you're going to get like the spiritual collection agency. Ah, uh, Yeah, I'm just calling on that spiritual debt, you old God. Haven't been to church, haven't been giving, haven't been serving. You are way behind on payments. That's just going to make you all warm and fuzzy to God, isn't it, right? you just like... Come here, you big loan shark. Let me, let me sing to you. You are loan sharker. I mean, if you don't view God correctly, which means you don't view God's grace correctly, it will tweak your mind about who God is. Amen. That's why we have to understand God's grace. Right? He's not the big loan shark in the sky, and you have these huge installment payments that you're trying to pay off. Unfortunately, in the church, we can motivate you if we pull that string. I could probably get uh, this many kingdom kids workers by just pulling the right, well, you know, Jesus did so much for you. (laughs) And you can't serve for one hour a month after all Jesus did for you. Shame, shame, shame. Shame. Right? And then so some of you would, you know, trudge out of here and fill out an application. Because Jesus did so much for you, you got to pay him back. And your penance is in kingdom, kids. And if you're really in debt, you go to nursery because that's really hard. And then if you're really behind, you're going to go to youth. Because youth is where your debt gets paid off double because of all that, right? That's like some weird economics we get into if you don't understand God's grace. Amen? Guys, God's grace sets us free from all of that. You are free from all of that. Stop trying to pay him back. If many of you, uh, some of you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? You remember Saving Private Ryan years ago came out, and there's a Private Ryan in war, and this platoon, you know, Captain Miller and his guys have to go find and save Private Ryan because his other brothers have all been killed. And so they go on this journey, and a lot of them die trying to save Private Ryan to get him off the battlefields because he's the only son remaining, right? And so at the very end of the scene, the movie Tom Hanks, they finally get Private Ryan. They're having this big battle. Tom Hanks is about to die, and he's the whole movie. He's been leading the guys to f- save Private Ryan. And he says this to Private Ryan at the very end. He says, earn this. Meaning, everything we went through, you better live your life in a way that you earn this. And then it fast forwards at the end to Private Ryan, and he has lived a life of bondage and burden not knowing if he's done enough to earn what was done for him. That weight, right? He says, I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that in your eyes I have earned what all you have done for me. Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Some of us today, you're still trying to pay back God. You're still trying to earn what he did for you there out of grace you got to stop that because it's robbing your joy and your freedom of who you are in Christ. It's, it's completely skewing your view of church and even why you're here this morning, why you pray, why you read your Bible, why you give, why you it If you're trying to prove that you merit God's grace or if you're trying to pay back God for his grace, you're in bondage. And you got to be set free from that. And that's why we're doing this, because you have to receive God's grace, right? So, for instance, here, let me help you. A gift. A gift. Isaac. Let me use you, buddy. Yeah, come on up. If I have a gift, and I give it to Isaac, what is Isaac supposed to do with this gift? Just receive it, right? <laughs> receive it. It's empty, there ain't nothing in there, so. <laughs> but if Isaac receives a gift and suddenly, immediately says, man, now I got to give him something back. What did he just do to the gift? He turned it into an obligation. God's grace is a gift. And we've turned it into an obligation. Obligation. Anybody here ever been invited to someone's house for dinner? And right away you're like, we've, honey, we've got to have them back. Anyone? Why is that? Payback. You can't just go to dinner and celebrate dinner. Uh, Randy, thank you for all the times you've had me and my wife over for dinner. And he knows we have not paid him back. <laughs> but that's, try tip is good, bro. <laughs> Thank you, Isaac. Can you can keep it. <laughs> Go crazy with that. Rock on with that gift. So if Isaac takes the gift, but in his mind, he's, if he turns it into an obligation, that is already, he's already messed up in his head, right? He's not enjoying the gift, is he? He's not going to open up and enjoy it. He's going to open it up and like, like Christmas, I have to give an equal level gift. Anyone? Let's be honest. You open a gift, and your biggest fear is that they got you something more expensive than you did. Anyone? It's like, dude. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, they they love you, and they're kind of extravagant. And then you're like, here's a gift card from Amazon. This whole gifting, I'm bringing this because you resonate with this. If Isaac takes my gift and right away goes into payback, he's under, he's, now he's under an obligation and a debt and a burden. He's not enjoying the gift at all. Right? It's now turned contractual. Now there's some weird contractual obligation that he's trying to pay back rather than just receiving it and saying, thank you. Right? Right? How many of you have loved, if you had kids growing up, love to just give them gifts or anyone, nephews, right? You just love to give them gifts. Right? I love when Jesus talks about having childlike faith. What do your kids do? What do my kids do when they get gifts at Christmas or their birthday? I have never once seen one of my five kids after opening Christmas gifts when they were little go, How am I gonna pay dad back? for this Nintendo Wii that he went to Target at 4 a.m. on Black Friday for. How can I possibly return the favor to my father? No. What are my kids like? Dad, set it up! Let's play! My kids have no desire and no thought to pay me back. Right? They're just receiving the gift. Ah! Yeah, right? father wants you to receive the gift. Stop trying to prove that you earned the gift and stop trying to pay him back. It's a gift to be enjoyed by us, right? And so how do we kind of process these two false beliefs? We have to go to the Bible, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, satisfaction by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So if we're going to deal with proving and payback, I'm going to give you one more P, and this is where it might hit home. You're going to have to deal with pride. Because God's grace at certain levels for some of us, or many of us, deals with our pride. See, Jordan, if you put up uh, Romans 3.23 again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? If you're part of the all, if you're willing, would you raise your hand? All have sinned and fall short of the glory, so all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So if you're part of the sinned and fall short of the glory of God, would you just like kind of do that? Okay. You and I are in need of God's grace just like everybody else. Bill has this uh, phrase that he coined years and years ago, and it stuck with me at various times, and I thought of it. We have to, he says, you have to get over your bad self. If we're gonna appropriate and enjoy God's grace, we have to humble ourselves and get over our pride that somehow we're not as bad off as everybody else. We like to compare. And so when we think of God's grace and people who need a savior, we really think of the bad people on the planet, don't we? The bad people in, in prison or the bad people that we see doing things, they really need Jesus. They really need a Savior. They really need God's grace. And yet, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So let me let me make this really clear so you understand this. Spiritually, positionally, We are as bad off, everyone say bad off. We are as bad off as anybody else on this planet if we don't know Jesus. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not as bad as the bad people we see on TV, but we're as bad off. And that hits pride. You see the distinction? If you can humble yourself and receive the truth that you're as bad off, based on Romans 3:23 to 25, then you're on the road to really enjoying and appropriating God's grace. See, I grew up going to church every Sunday, mass, and, and everything. And I was a good moral kid. You know, if you know happy days, I was on the Richie Cunningham side of things, right? <laughs> And I remember when my friends in college started coming at me with the gospel and saying, all have sinned, and you need a Savior, and you did it. Dude, I was tort. I was like, what are you talking about? I ain't no sinner. I'm not bad. I don't do bad things, right? Because in my mind, sin and sinners were the really bad people. And so I was resistant out of pride to receiving my need for a Savior. Because I didn't understand sin and then the answer to sin of God's grace. I was still merit, demerit, comparing myself to the really bad people. I didn't understand that I was as bad off as everyone else without Jesus. Right? And so if you're going to appropriate and enjoy God's grace, you got to humble yourself and say Yes. God, there's nothing I can do to prove that I merit it, and there's nothing I can do to pay it back. I'm just grateful. I just received it, right? I just receive it. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this, right? No merit. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. You just receive it. You ever have a moment in your life where someone gave you some gift that just blew your mind? And it, like, humbled you, like, you, you literally said, I'm not even worth this. How could you? I can't believe you spent this much on me. Anyone? Just humbled you. Just knocked you to the knees. Right? You're like, I want you to take that and I want you to multiply it exponentially with God's gift. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. Andrew Wilmack says this, grace is what sets true Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. The gospel, as referred to in Romans, speaks of the good news of salvation independent of our performance. It's by God's grace. That's nearly too good to be true, but it is. Thank you, Jesus. If you understand the gospel and you understand God's grace, there is a part of you that should go, that's crazy. There is a part of you that should go, that makes no sense. There is a part of you that should go, I don't get that. Are you kidding me? It should be an are you kidding me moment if you truly understand God's grace and what it means. Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and, which, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There should be rejoicing. When you understand God's grace, there should be rejoicing. There should be gratitude and rejoicing. So here's, I'm going to give you a couple uh, thoughts that maybe will resonate with some of you to kind of break through this. Because this touches some deeply ingrained resistance. So I'm going, to, I'm going to encourage some of you. Some of you this morning, you need to stop resisting and you need to just receive. Stop resisting God's grace. Stop trying to figure it out. You need to go from resisting to receiving. You need to go from figuring to faith. You need to go from trying to trusting. On the authority of God's word, not me. You got to stop resisting. Just receive it. You're like, but that's too simple. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Who were the ones that were struggling in the Gospels? Who struggled with the message of the Gospel? The religious intellectuals, right? They tried to figure out, wait, that can't be that, no, it can't be that. Who received it with joy? The blue-collar workers. The commoners, right? It was so simple that the commoners were like, woo hoo we're in! And it was so simple that the Pharisees and religious leaders were like, oh, I don't know about that. Let me, let me think about that. It doesn't really make sense. It just seems too simple. Some of you need to stop resisting and receive God's grace. Some of you need to get out of your head, stop figuring, and exercise faith and receive it. Some of you need to stop trying so hard and just trust that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, you are good to go. Isn't that crazy? I know it's crazy. If you, <laughs> if you understand the gospel, it is nutso. So you're telling me that Jesus Christ, Messiah, right? He came. He's the Lamb of God who takes way this in the world. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And according to what these verses you said, if I put my faith In him, by God's grace, I'm good to go for eternity. Yep. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. We're the ones that overcomplicate it. We're the ones that kind of, oh, what what, 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 about this? Call time out. Turn this off and receive God's grace this morning. Stop trying to prove anything to him. Stop trying to pay him back. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus, you are saved. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, your name is written in the book of life. All by God's grace! Another reason we might be challenged with this in our culture is we sort of had this thing about no free lunch. A lot of different areas of our economy and our culture, there's this thing about no free lunch, no handouts. I don't need anything. I don't need a free lunch. I don't need a handout. I don't need help. And here comes God's grace as the ultimate, eternal freebie. What in you is resisting taking the freebie? Pride, self-righteousness. I want to tell you, your life can be revolutionized and transformed if you'll just take the freebie. Admit you need the freebie and get in line and take the freebie. We all did that. See, if you're sitting next to a believer, you're sitting next to someone who took the freebie. Right? If you took the freebie, just put your hand up. If you okay, you feel better now? But there's something in us. Pride, the way we're raised in our culture, we look down on those who need or or aren't doing doing anything to earn their keep, yada, yada, yada. Spiritually, there's nothing you could do to earn your keep. Take God's grace as the eternal gift called the freebie. It's there. And if you do, watch what happens in your life. Ah. You're no longer living to prove anything, and you're no longer living to pay back anything. You're just living in God's grace. And if someone says that's crazy, you're like, I oh, know, it's crazy, isn't it? You just agree with them. It's crazy. Right? When people see us, and some of you have actually visited and are here because you saw us hanging out with donuts and coffee afterwards, you know what they're seeing when people are driving and walking by? Just a bunch of people who have received God's freebie called grace. And the invitation is extended to all of them. Hey, come get the freebie. God's grace is available for you. That's all we've done. The church is made up of just people who have received God's grace. That's called the church. The church. That's all we are. That's why around here we try to just be us and we you know and you know you raise the stage up a couple steps because you got you know around here, if you've been here any length of time, we respect authority, we understand the offices of the church and all that, but put all the how we run church aside, in the end, we're just brothers and sisters in Christ because we have both received God's freebie called grace. I'm no different than any of you. And in fact, I probably struggled. Much harder than many of you because of my merit, demerit, performance, academic upbringing. And my pride as a guy, a husband and father, not wanting freebie. No, I don't need anybody's help. I'm good. I'll show them. Yeah, Anyone? Anyone? All of that comes into play when God says, hey, here's the gift of salvation. You're like, that's for the really bad people, isn't it? No, it's for the really bad off people. That's all of us. That's all of us, right? Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. That's someone who understands grace. You get the vibe behind that passage? That's someone who's living grace. Man. Someone shared their testimony, He's, they wrote this. God wants us to be grateful to him for what he has done, but he doesn't want us to thank him by thinking it is our duty to try and work for him, paying him back. Our gratitude should work like this. We are so thankful for what God has done, we've naturally in praise and thanksgiving to him. That's the difference. I'll give an example. When I find a good restaurant, I don't consider it my duty to go out and tell people about it. No, but I do tell others about it out of pure delight. The restaurant so impressed me with its service, friendliness, and good food that I wanted to tell someone. It gave me great delight in telling others about its benefits. Likewise, when I praise God, it's not out of a sense of duty, but I praise him because I'm so impressed by his goodness that I can't help myself. Anyone? Who here has ever, like, had, eaten somewhere and then told someone about it? Just because it's like, dude... You gotta go try this out. It was so awesome. Isn't that the message of the gospel? We're the ones that overcomplicate. We just want, hey, you gotta hear this grace thing. God's grace. You gotta come, come on. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, right? When you go and you talk to your friends about this restaurant, you're not scared, what are they gonna say? What are they gonna think? What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? No, you don't care about any of that, right? You just go right out there and you're like, you got to check this place out, right? You're free to share and invite them to come to this restaurant that has so blessed you, right? Do the same thing with the message of the gospel. My prayer is that as you understand in the weeks ahead, as we appropriate God's grace, that you're just going to want to go out there because you can't help yourself and tell people about God's grace. Just tell people about God's grace. It's that simple, right? Isaiah 61. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord, my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. If you understand God's grace, you got that sense. It should change you from the inside out. Right? Right? You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ by God's grace as you sit here. You should be pretty stoked about that. Just like a bride in her wedding dress or the groom in his tuxedo, you should be pretty stoked about that. Right? And so as we prepare for communion, I really just, we're going to spend a lot of time on God's grace. But I'm going to ask you, have you been trying to prove something? Have you been trying to pay him back? Do you need to go from resisting to simply receiving this morning? As crazy as it sounds, as humbling as that might be, you simply receive God's grace, his unmerited favor, because he loves you. He loves you, and he wants you to enjoy his grace. So, Father, thank you for your grace. And in this merit and demerit culture we live in, in this culture of self-sufficiency and pride, the gospel of grace is so upside down. It challenges us at core levels. And so I pray for all of us here at home, those listening, that right now you would speak to us, that we would be free of trying to prove something to you that we would be free of trying to pay back your gift. If we turned it into duty and obligation, please forgive us. And Father, would you bring back to us the joy of our salvation because it's rooted in your grace. Father, it is absolutely stunning and mind-boggling that the God of the universe would love us so much to send Jesus in your grace, that we would have an eternal relationship with you, not by works, but by faith in Jesus. And if you've not put faith in Jesus this morning, receive God's grace. Put your faith. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that any, no one can boast. Receive God's gift of Jesus, of salvation through faith today. And if you are a believer, enjoy God's freedom.
0: Enjoy God's grace. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Most of our teams are not in the game. But we are forever holding them up. Some things to remember. There's already chili back there. There's barbecue grills. There's tri-tip. There will be smoke. There will be aroma. There will be things dipped and covered in cheese, bacon, sugar, you name it, we've got dessert covered everywhere. These are things that men have put together. So there are some serious things that need to be remembered. Ernie. Is it apricot cobbler? What's the is cobbler? What exactly is in that? Secret recipe. Secret recipe. <laughs> this is what men do because we ourselves don't know what's in it. <laughs> My chili is a one-off. If you say that was great, I don't know if it's going to happen again because cans went in, packages went in, there was no measuring tool, nothing was written down, but it smells really good. So there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, Where's Barry? Barry's got a knife back there that nobody should go near, but it's about to cut salami and cheese, right? So there's a lot of that. We've got everything going on. But we, the body of Christ, are going to fellowship together together Rather than sitting home, possibly alone, we're going to fellowship and holler together. Carry on. It's going to be a great time. time. (laughs) Halftime. I don't know what's going to happen. Is there going to be a wardrobe malfunction? (laughs) But we don't want a replay on that. But we don't know what's going to happen. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time, and we're going to be in prayerful Call to the Lord that those that are playing the game are injury-free, that a good time is had, that it's a great game, and that the one-and-a-half-point spread is covered. It'll be all good. Now, 3 o'clock is, uh, you know, if you want to know what time to show up, that's going to be your hour. Um, I think kickoff's at 3.30. Uh, several of us are going to just be here from the time it's over because someone needs to eat all the cookies and the donuts and things. So there's going to be that. So that's it on the Super Bowl. Now i got to just kind of take it down a peg, and we got to talk about next week's uh, general business meeting. Is that the name we give to it? So let's be as upbeat as we can about this. Um, everyone is welcome. You'll be able to ask questions if anybody cares to that level, and we'll be here to share with you the ministries of this church, the focus and the vision going forward Uh, into the next fiscal year, and uh, it's an obligation from the state of California that our corporation has to do such a thing. It's not as much fun as the Super Bowl party, but we're going to be here for a short time uh, opening up everything for question that we do here and what the vision is, and we would encourage you to come and participate as Christ calls us to do things decently and in order. That meeting will be one that covers that, so thank you.